time for The Outspoken Cyclist, your weekly conversation about bicycles, cycling, and related topics. The Outspoken Cyclist on-air show is heard every Saturday morning, 7.30 a.m. in Northeastern Ohio on WJCU 88.7 FM and streamed at WJCU.org. Our weekly podcast is available at the close of the on-air show at OutspokenCyclist.com or download it with your favorite podcatching app to listen anytime. Now here's your host, Diane Jenks. Welcome to The Outspoken Cyclist. I'm your host, Diane Jenks. This is our show for September 5th, 2020. I hope you're ready for the Labor Day weekend and have a ride planned. It's supposed to be an outstanding weekend here in Northeast Ohio. And we have three outstanding guests today, and we cover three very diverse topics. First up is some information about a new trail in its initial planning stages right here in Northeast Ohio. Then we'll head out to Missoula, Montana, where Editor-in-Chief of Adventure Cyclist Magazine, Alex Strickland, fills us in on how COVID has impacted adventure cycling. And finally, Craig Calfee, arguably the daddy of carbon fiber, and I chat about what's new. So I'm always interested in new trails to explore, especially when they're right in our backyard. My first guests live in Hudson, Ohio are both retired from their respective jobs, and have joined forces to help establish Task Force Trail Advocates of Summit County. Bill Seepy and Ron Brubaker have made it their mission to not only help promote trails in the area, but are especially interested in developing a 12-and-a-half-mile trail from Hudson, Ohio, to Akron, an area that's not too far from right where we are in Cleveland. Hello, Ron and Bill. Welcome to The Outspoken Cyclist. Thanks for joining me on the show this week. This is Ron. Thanks for inviting us, Diane. We're very happy to be here. Thank you, Diane, for having us on the show. It is my pleasure. I I got this little message about task force, and I'm thinking, ooh, that sounds interesting. Everybody knows I'm very interested in trails. I'm very interested in new trails especially. So let's start with what is the task force? Let me take that one. This is Ron. Task Force is a two-part name. The first part is an acronym, T-A-S-C, Task with a C. That stands for Trail Advocates of Summit County. And the fourth part of our name is just a subtle reminder of uh, how dedicated we are to advocate for trails. And that is our goal. We have been aware of an abandoned railroad line for many, many years. We're both retired now with an opportunity to work on projects like this, and we've started Task Force to get the Veterans Trail, it's called. It's a 12-and-a-half-mile right-of-way owned by Metro RTA. It starts in Akron, runs up through Cuyahoga Falls, Silver Lake, Stowe, and ends in Hudson. And we'd like to see that developed as a multi-purpose trail. So when did you start working on this project? Go ahead, Bill. The, the actual genesis of this project goes back to a study that was paid for and funded by the five cities Ron mentioned back in 2005. Uh, but it was simply set aside, uh, I believe, for, for cost purposes uh, at the time. Uh, AMAS, the Akron Metropolitan Area Transportation folks, uh, identified this trail opportunity in 2013 in their TO 2035 study. And last year, Ron took it upon himself to start talking with the city of Hudson folks about this abandoned right-of-way. And uh, he got me involved and asked me if I would uh, give him a hand. And I, I had nothing better to do, so I said, <laughs> sure, why not? And, and we need more trails in Summit County. So that's kind of how the genesis of this uh, project uh, got started. We just decided as a couple of engineers that uh, – we needed to be the levers to get a, a, a rock that was sitting stationary to get it moving down the hill. You already told me how long it's going to be, about 12 and a half miles. Will it actually intersect with any trails? How would you get to it, let's say, from the center of Hudson? That's one of the beautiful things about this trail. It, it'll actually connect to six either existing or planned trails. So, for example, uh, it crosses two uh, Summit Metro bike and hike trails, and at the southern end, it connects to the Freedom Trail uh, oh, in Akron. I see. 
There's also a trail that's being planned. Some of the funding's in place for the first phase of that now. It's called the Rubber City Heritage Trail. This trail will connect to that by bike lanes, about a half mile on Arlington Avenue to connect to the Rubber City Heritage Trail. And that'll go to the, the old tire plants. And then there's a, a trail out of the, the north side of Hudson that'll connect back to the, the bike and hike trail and another trail that'll connect to the, uh, called the High Bridge Trail to connect to the Ohio and Erie Canal Trail. So there's all kinds of connection possibilities with this, with this proposal. Let me remind our listeners, we're speaking with Ron Brubaker and Bill Seepy, and they are task force, trail advocates of Summit County. So for those who are listening from out of the area, Summit County is where Akron is headquartered. So you know Akron's about 30 miles from Cleveland. And there are some beautiful surrounding towns like Hudson, for example, uh, in, in Summit County, Stowe, Silver Lake, Cuyahoga Falls, all those little cities. Uh, and we're talking about this Veterans Trail. Tell me how the word veterans got in there. Ron and I, one of the parts of our advocacy work was to uh, work closely and attend Citizens Involvement Committee meetings with uh, AMATS down in Akron, and we asked that question to Curtis Baker from AMATS uh, at one of the meetings, and uh, basically he told us it was simply a matter of somebody there at AMATS picked the name Veterans after they gave the name the Freedom Trail to the existing Freedom Trail that runs from Akron Akron towards Kent, and and it's as simple as that, and it's been referred to uh, in AMATS 2035 study as the Veterans Trail. We didn't give up the name. But we're, we're happy to uh, have the opportunity to honor the service of veterans with this trail name and perhaps even have some signage or some displays along the trail that would, would add to the uh, honoring the veterans. So which, that takes me to my next question, which is where is the planning right now? At what stage are you in actually ha- making this happen? What we need to happen is almost all of this right away. I'd say 95% of it is owned by Metro RTA. That's the bus company in Summit County. And in the past, they have let another of their rail properties be developed into a uh, bike and hike trail, and that's what is the Freedom Trail. So Metro RTA worked with Summit Metro Parks to, to make that happen. We're trying to follow that model and get Metro RTA to make this trail available, uh, release it to Summit Metro Parks, and Metro Parks has indicated that they are interested in, in designing, building, and maintaining a trail on this right-of-way if Metro leases it to them. So we are lobbying hard, trying to build public support with individual trail users, community leaders, state-level leaders, elected officials, and even national elected officials. We're soliciting letters of support to Metro RTA and Summit Metro Parks, asking them to consider this and allow this to happen. And almost to our surprise, uh, we met with uh, the city of Stowe, and they got very excited about that. They put in a request for funding last year, and they were successfully awarded $700,000. Wow. Yeah, to relocate a mile and a half of bike lanes. You might have ridden these, Diane, through Silver Lake and Stowe. Relocate those bike lanes onto this right-of-way and get it off of the streets. And that's done even before Metro has agreed to allow this. Stowe is very anxious to get this uh, approved so that they can start with their design work and implementing that. Will there be any public hearings or public meetings or something that people could in the area attend and get some input? Or is this all going to be sort of happening virtual. Of course, now everything's virtual. So is there a way to do that? Well, in this age of COVID, meetings are, almost all the meetings are virtual. Right. We were attending uh, Metro RTA board member meetings and some of their planning meetings. Uh, We were going to Summit Metro Park board meetings, and that's all gone to being online now. So it's it's hard to get that face-to-face contact. So we're really... uh, Pressing with the letters of support right now, and I think that's that's uh, achieving some success. 
Well, and that's going to be the last thing I want to talk about, which is how people in the area or out of the area who will find this to be an important part of their bicycling future can get involved. What would you like people to do? Well, we welcome people in the area, especially in those five communities. And we also welcome people out of the, out of the area to, uh, to submit letters of support. And they can also go to our website, which is called taskforce.org. That's T-A-S-C-F-O-R-C-E dot org. On that website, there's a place where you can sign up to show your support. And we have several hundred people who have done that. It takes just a matter of minutes. You put in your, your name and your email address and how what you like about trails and click a button. and It goes into a database, and, and we have now several hundred people signed up. I am on your website right now. So show your support, sign up online. Right there, there's also um, information about how to submit letters of support. And you could also, if if you're living in any of these communities, you can encourage your city council people to support this trail. You know, we're we're talking to engineering staffs, planning people, park boards, anybody who, who might be interested in this trail. And if people living in those communities talk to those people and let them know they were interested in it, it would just add to the support we're trying to build. Do you have a vision for when you'd like to see this completed? Well, I can still ride on it. That's my goal. <laughs> I turn 71 tomorrow, so we got to get this thing going. Well, very happy birthday. That's nice. Okay. I would like to uh, thank you both, Ron Brubaker, Bill C.B. from Task Force, T-A-S-C-F-O-R-C-E. If you are interested... If you live in the area, in the Summit County area, in Hudson or Stowe or Silver Lake or any of those areas where this 12 and a half mile trail will benefit the entire area and hook up to all these other trails you've already been riding, please take a moment to log on to taskforce.org. Thank you both for talking with me. It's a fascinating project and next time we're down there, I'm going to talk to my friends about it and see where they are. They'll listen to the show, and they'll probably send a letter of support, too. Great. Diane, thanks for having us on. I appreciate it. You guys have a great afternoon. You too. Thank you. All righty. Bye. Bill C.B. and Ron Brubaker are the team of TaskForce.org. If you're interested in learning more and especially interested in offering your support, you can log on to taskforce, T-A-S-C-F-O-R-C-E dot org. We're going to take a break, and when we return, we'll speak with Adventure Cyclist Magazine's Editor-in-Chief, Alex Strickland. You're listening to The Outspoken Cyclist. The Outspoken Cyclist is proud to have Bike Law as a trusted partner. If you find yourself in need of legal advice or assistance as it pertains to any cycling issue, log on to bikelaw.com. We are back. I'm your host, Diane Jenks. Nine times a year, Adventure Cycling Association publishes one of the preeminent magazines in the bicycle world. From the stories that come in from all over the planet to great product reviews, it's always an excellent read. But ACA is also well known for its maps, guided tours, and events. However, COVID being what it is, the ultimate in killing all the fun, ACA has had to make some hard decisions, canceling guided tours, not allowing folks into the Missoula facility, and pretty much keeping the staff at a minimum. But that doesn't mean that good things aren't happening either. Here's my conversation with Editor-in-Chief of Adventure Cyclist Magazine, Alex Strickland. Hi, Alex. Welcome back to The Outspoken Cyclist. Thanks for joining me on the show today. How are you? Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, I'm, I'm good. You know, it's uh, you cannot beat the end of summer in western Montana. So that, that really helps. It seems like it's really beautiful up there, and it's humid here, but we've had a lot of beautiful sunny days here in Northeast Ohio. You and I haven't spoken much recently, uh, and I think it's time we caught up. So if it's nice in Missoula, how about the COVID response? (laughs) Your website, ACA website, paints a kind of dismal state (laughs) of touring. (laughs) 
as of August. Yeah, you know, it's one of these things. I try to resist sort of this, uh, the notion of like, well, the silver lining of a global pandemic, because we've been mercifully unaffected in sort of very real personal ways here. And for a lot of people, you know, there there is no silver lining. It's just sort of this huge ongoing catastrophe. But, you know, from a bike touring perspective, yeah, it's, it's certainly been the strangest summer in our 40-something years. In Missoula, you know, in a normal summer, we might have somewhere between 1,000 and 1,300 cyclists stop by our offices. And, you know, they we greet people, they sign a guest book, we give them tours of the office, uh, ice cream, sort of the whole thing. And this year, I think we've had about 65 people stop by. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> So considerably fewer. Uh, I'm I'm not a mathematician, but I think that's a lot less. <laughs> you think the office has been closed, um, uh, and we've we've just had a skeleton crew working at headquarters. Everybody else has been working from home. I've been one of the ones uh, at headquarters most of the summer, and you know we still go outside uh, with masks on and, and greet folks and have them you know sign our guest book and chat with them and you know if they want to buy something from our store uh you know we're sort of able to do that <laughs> you know it's like a drive through at the bank we just don't have the pneumatic tubes right but yeah it's it's been sort of this odd summer with so few people and yet we know anecdotally and and certainly you know people have time on their hands we've probably heard more uh, from our members this summer than we ever have, you know, just, just not in person. You know, I think people have really even experienced, you know, longtime uh, bike travelers, you know, have recalibrated and maybe they were planning to do the Trans Am this year. And now they're doing, you know, overnights near their home. And, you know, I think that it's been sort of this, it's been a different summer, uh, but it has still been, you know, a summer of bike travel. And certainly, you know, for those of us here in Missoula and, and adventure cycling staff and friends and that sort of thing. Like it kind of keeps you sane to be able to get out on a bike. Uh, I think it's been a real therapeutic activity for a lot of people in this, in this time. Yeah. And I hear that a lot. People are saying it's keeping me from going crazy. It keeps me well. And I've heard this actually my entire retail life. I would have wives call me and say, thank you for building that bike for my husband, because if he wasn't out on his bike, he'd be dead. I'd kill him by now. So now it's even more important to have that bicycle experience. So you do have a couple of events that are still being planned and have not been canceled, although all your guided tours were canceled. One is the Bike Travel Weekend, which was just postponed, and it's coming up later this month, and Bike Your Park Day, which I think is one that we can all relate to. Tell me a little bit about the Bike Travel Weekend and what what you are actually going to be offering or what people are going to be expected to do. Totally. So yeah, as you know, you know, typically Bike Travel Weekend is the first weekend in June, and things were so uncertain. Uh, you know, it feels <laughs> it's like everyone. Time really no longer has any meaning. So right. you know, the beginning of June feels like last week and also seven years ago. But so yeah, Bike Travel Weekend. We ended up just kind of rolling it in. Uh, Bike Your Park Day uh, always takes place uh, in late September. So we rolled them together to try and encourage folks to do you know a bit of of kind of what I was just saying. You know, get out near where you live, do an overnight. Uh, you know, maybe get some folks together who haven't. Uh, had that experience before, I suspect we'll talk a little bit at, uh, you know, the the sort of bike boom we're experiencing. There's a lot of people with new bikes right. and also new people on bikes. And so we really just see it as an opportunity to try and get folks out. Um, you know, in a, in a normal year, a big component of this is in-person rides. Somebody would set up a ride, they would log it on our website at adventure cycling slash bike travel weekend. And you would say, you know, hey, this ride's open. If you want to come along, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna do an overnight uh, from Missoula down to this great campground, 20 miles south of here, and and everybody's welcome. Well, you know, 2020 probably isn't the year for that. Um, so there are definitely people can sign up to do their own rides, uh, you know, with their own sort of uh, uh, bubble groups and that sort of thing. And then we're also offering a, a virtual ride that people can participate in. That's kind of a virtual tour of our new route that we launched this summer, the Parks, Peaks, and Prairies route, uh, which goes from Yellowstone National Park to Minneapolis, goes through uh, Devil's Tower National uh, Monument, through the Badlands, 
uh, Mount Rushmore across South Dakota uh, into kind of the the lake country of Minnesota and then thence to Minneapolis. And so that's going to go live here in about a week. We'll have that up and running. And we've got information about that uh, also on our website uh, at the Bike Travel Weekend area. And I think that'll be neat. You know, it's certainly we've seen virtual um, virtual versions of all kinds of event rides. And people, I think, have been so creative, you know, across not just the bike travel world, but just the cycling world. You know, try to keep people engaged. And, yeah, all right, I can't go ride rag ride this summer like I've done, you know, every year for a million years. But I can have sort of this socially distant near my house, but still participatory feeling. Let me remind our listeners, we're speaking with Alex Strickland. He is the editor-in-chief of Adventure Cycling Magazine, a big part of the Adventure Cyclist Association. I want to talk about the magazine. So Yeah, anyway, I love talking about the magazine. I know, and I love the magazine, <laughs> and that's why I want to talk about it. Uh, so Adventure Cycling, if you are not a member, I would suggest that you look at everything they do, and perhaps if you're interested, you would want to join. It's adventurecycling.org. So I, I do want to talk about the magazine, but first I'd like to know a little bit about what's going on behind the scenes. You guys are always coming up with new things. So Parks, Peaks, and Prairies this year, what other plans are in the works? I mean, maps are, I mean, that is who Adventure Cycling was at the very beginning, that bike centennial map across the country. And you've since just come out with maps constantly and people love maps. Yeah, totally. And I think, you know, it is so much in our DNA, you know, our route network, which, you know, one of the great and really, I think, testament to to doing this for a long time and doing it well is that the Parks, Peaks, and Prairies route this summer actually ticked our route network, the total network, over 50,000 miles. Wow. Which was a big, you know, we've sort of had this in the in our sites for a long time. It's a big number. It is, absolutely. And, you know, this route is an interesting one. And maybe this is a, it's a good example of kind of how this happens behind the scenes. It does a few things. Number one, you know, at this sort of very basic level, we can look at our route network map and you can see where the routes are. You can also see where they aren't. Uh, the blank spots on the map are fairly obvious. And so then you say, okay, what is it about that that might, you know, might be appealing? What other things can it do? What, what is there to see? Is it safe? You know, is, is, the, is the reason there's not a route through this area that there's not a safe corridor for cyclists? And so in the case of Parks, Peaks, and Prairies, it was an opportunity to offer uh, in addition to sort of a long distance route on its own, it connects our northern tier and Trans Am routes. The Trans Am goes through Yellowstone, the northern tier through Minneapolis. And so it gives folks another option that if they want to do a cross-country ride and they don't want to stay on the northern tier through North Dakota and, and kind of the high line of Montana, well, this is an option. They could take a slightly more southerly route. Ditto if you were doing a chunk of the Trans Am. Same as sort of our Western Express route. You know, once you hit Colorado, instead of heading north to Montana, you'd stay going west across Utah. So it, it sort of fills in this blank on the map. And then you look at the other reasons, you know, tons of incredible, you know, geography, attractions, you know, natural beauty, and good, good bicycling. You know, these all factor into how we look at things. You know, last year uh, in 2019, our big route launch for the year was the Arkansas High Country route, which is a mixed surface, uh, you know, 1,200 mile kind of figure eight loop in Arkansas, as the name suggests. And that kind of had a totally different iteration. That's a route that uh, a member of Adventure Cycling came to us and was a passionate cyclist and a passionate uh, Arkansas resident and said, hey, I've got an idea. And I have it sort of already sketched out on the back of the napkin. And I'd love to talk to you about developing it further. And so that conversation progresses. There's multiple reasons to sort of keep it moving. And then you reach a point where you say, yeah, you know, this ticks a lot of boxes for us and we're going to do it. And so these, these routes get created. There can be a lot of different kind of impulses to get things started. But once they're going, once we commit to making a route, you know, we have a really high commitment to quality, commitment to, you know, offering something unique to, to bicyclists, that we're going to have a service directory that is really focused on cyclists. We're going to have, you know, a priority on roads and trails that are better suited for riders versus just the fastest way or the most direct way. And then, like you say, the end result is sort of these beautiful, uh, beautiful paper maps, but also really useful 
digital data in the form of primarily our bicycle route navigator app, which is available for iPhone and Android systems. And you know that that in particular is going to be a big focus for us in the future is is making that app more robust, not just for our own route network, but also to create some participatory levels so that you know you're a member of adventure cycling, you're riding the Trans Am. You have this incredible hospitable moment, a great campground, a great, you know, ice cream shop, whatever. And that in the future, you'll have the ability to submit that basically Mm. as like a cyclist choice, uh, a five star sort of thing. Like this is not to be missed. Nice. I'm playing with your online map as we speak. Because, of course, what else would I do while we're talking but have (laughs) some fun with your uh, website? And it really is so well done. You know, you get an overview. You know the exact mileage. You can buy the maps. You can do the app. It's just, I don't know who the heck's working on this, but it's really awesome. Once again, let me remind our listeners, we're speaking with Alex Strickland from Adventure Cycling Association. He is the editor-in-chief of the Adventure Cyclist Magazine. I want to ask you about two specific things. How okay. is membership? You know, membership is good. We've been talking about this a lot because it's September uh, as we're talking and our fiscal year ends here at the end of the month. And, you know, we have really had, I don't want to say in spite of the pandemic, you know, we've just had a really solid year for membership. That's, you know, new members, absolutely. But I, I think we've particularly felt this year that, you know, with everything happening, and the pandemic, you know, obviously having a huge impact on people's ability to do the thing that they want to do and that we support them in doing, you know, I, I, our members really gave us a big vote of confidence this year and, you know, said, this is important to us. You know, we're going to renew. We're going to renew for multiple years. Uh, you know, we're really behind you. And we know that that there's going to be a bounce back after this. And, and hopefully, you know, not just we'll, we'll sort of bike travel um, be back, hopefully, in 2021. but you know, there's such an opportunity with the boom in bike sales with, you know, people have seen as traffic volumes plummeted as all this was happening, you know, municipalities were closing streets and opening trails and and changing traffic patterns to better facilitate cycling and, and pedestrians. And people like it. That has been, you know, so well received in so many places that I think there's a sense that that there's a real moment, you know, coming down the line here that, that it's a chance to introduce a lot of people to a thing that's, you know, already special to you as a member of Venture Cycle. I agree. And I see from the bike shop perspective, because, of course, peripherally, I'm still involved in that, that you have a whole new appreciation from people who are staying home a lot to pull their bikes out of the basement, out of the garage, whether they ride around the block or they go down and get ice cream or they start riding with a group, meaning they get out with you know their family. There is no real group riding right now. <laughs> right. So the last thing is the magazine. Adventure Cyclist Magazine is probably one of the best publications out there, in my opinion. Now, I'm offering my opinion for a couple of reasons. <laughs> There's been a fairly big change in the actual look of the magazine over the last, I'm going to say three or four years. And the articles are excellent. The reviews of bikes are excellent. It just has become this much more sophisticated and yet friendly publication. So I want you to just tell me a little bit about how long it takes to put an issue together and how the magazine itself is doing. You really nailed sort of what we're going for, which I think is this like mix of, you know, authoritative, particularly on the bikes and gear side, you know, if people are spending their hard earned money, we want to give them good information, but, but yeah, friendly. And, and I think to make the idea of bicycle travel accessible and while still being aspirational and inspirational, I sort of joke all the time that like, I don't want to ride my bike across Africa, but I do want to read about it. I might want to go ride my bike in Nebraska. Uh, we have a story coming out in the next issue from the Sandhills region of Nebraska. And that's not an exotic destination by any stretch of the imagination, but like it can still be a really magical destination. So yeah, as far as, you know, the magazine's done well. It's a tough beat, print magazines in 2020. Right. But similar to membership and, and obviously as, uh, as a key membership benefit, um, for the members of Venture Cycling, you know, it's, it's a real vote of confidence in the magazine. And certainly, you know, that membership support for doing it is, it's beyond crucial. It's, it's the thing uh, that makes it possible. And 
you know, we have some really wonderful supporters and advertisers as well, and we couldn't do it without them either. But we're, we're in a good spot, uh, and I feel really, really, for, really lucky about that. You know, the process for issues, I, I wrote about this in a column a few months ago that, you know, some stories kind of fall into your lap at just the right time. We had just a fantastic uh, short essay from a woman who was riding around the world when the COVID pandemic kind of exploded in, you know, early March. And she had to pull the ripcord. She was in South America and just sort of the trouble of getting back to her home in the U.S. and getting her bike back home, but also this notion of like sort of having to to put this dream on hold. You know, she had 15 months or whatever left on this huge trip that she'd been planning for, for years and years. And, you know, that obviously <laughs> you can't plan for that essay. It just shows up. Right. And other stories. Uh, we had a story earlier this year from Japan uh, on the island of Hokkaido. And the story had been in the works for a little over a year, but we'd been trying to get a story from Japan and working with one of our contributors to do it for like five years. And so there's these sort of really quick, lucky uh, landings. And then there are these unbelievably slow burns that uh, finally come to fruition or sometimes don't. But, you know, we, we publish nine issues a year. Uh, in print, as well as obviously uh, quite a bit of online content. But in general, you know, we, we kind of plan 12 to twelve to 18 months ahead of time for any given issue. So I, I, in fact, had a meeting with my excellent staff this morning talking about we really need to finalize the first half of 2021 and make sure all the contracts are signed and uh, schedule is full. And so it's it's one of those things that I sort of laugh that by the time we actually send it, an issue to publication, I'm so sick of it. I don't even want to see it. When it comes in my mailbox, I just hand it to my wife and walk away. I, I want no part of it at that point. I totally get it. That's hilarious. We've been speaking with Alex Strickland. He's the editor-in-chief of Adventure Cyclist Magazine. We've been talking about Adventure Cycling Association. If you are interested in anything they do, and if you are riding your bike this year, you are interested in everything they do, you can log on to adventurecycling.org. Well, it's always good to talk with you. It's always great to catch up. I'm looking forward to the next issue because it's the October-November issue. This is a double issue, which is one of the reasons there's nine instead of 12 issues. Right. And so uh, it's going to be probably bigger and thicker and better. As I remember, the one other thing is that you can get – can't you get a catalog of your maps? Is that a freebie on your site? Yeah, if you hop on the site, you know, there's a lot there. It's a big website. Yeah, um, it is. But absolutely, you can hit you know you can hit join from any page. We're actually doing a September uh, promotion right now. You're entered to win a bike, all kinds of good stuff. But absolutely, if you hop over to our routes and maps section in particular, there's buttons around there where you can get a free map catalog, which just gives you a rundown of the full route network. We'll send you that. A little more information about the organization, and you know you can kind of start uh, start dreaming and scheming and planning uh, for 2021 and beyond. Well, and let's hope that we are healthy and safe. Alex, thank you so much. Have a wonderful fall riding season, and uh, I know we will talk again. Sounds great, Diane. Thanks so much for having me. Bye-bye. Bye. Alex Strickland joined me from the very quiet offices at Adventure Cycling Association in Missoula, Montana. If you are interested in the organization, want to get your free copy of the Map Guide, or would like to join the ACA, you can log on to adventurecycling.org. We're going to take another short break, and when we return, we're off to California for a chat with Craig Calfee. You're listening to The Outspoken Cyclist. WJCU University Heights, from the campus of John Carroll University. Back on The Outspoken Cyclist, I'm your host, Diane Jenks. What I always find so interesting and endearing about Craig Calfee is his unabashed willingness to share what he does. For example, offering his DIY bamboo bicycle kits and getting ready to upgrade it so more people can make more bikes for others as well as themselves. And Craig always has some really interesting, if not unusual, projects on the drawing board like his work with electric motorcycles. 
And he's also thinking about how to reach out to us when events such as NABs or the Philly Bike Expo have been canceled for 2020. Here's what he's thinking. Hi, Craig. Welcome back to The Outspoken Cyclist. Wow, it's been a long time since we last spoke. Yeah, it's it's been too long. Yeah, it's been almost actually 2018, so it's been a couple of years. Seems like longer. How are things in California? I know there have been a lot of problems out there with fires. Yeah, it's definitely smoky, although it has cleared up in the past day or two. So, you know, we're breathing easier. Finally got some sun, uh, but it's been really overcast and hazy. Well, I'm glad to hear that you guys are safe, though. Yeah, we're not in the line of fire, but some of our employees were, and they had to evacuate. So that's kind of put a damper on things. We were a Calfee dealer a long time ago, as you know. I mean, like, forever. Has it been 30 years? Has it? Have you actually been doing this stuff for 30 years? Yeah, yeah. It's um, <laughs> It's been fun. The Tetra, which was uh, the same as the carbon frame Sapphire, uh, the same bike we built for Greg LeMond, has been a model that we've been offering, and I think it is probably the longest-running bike model that anybody can seem to find. I mean, no one's been able to point to any other one. Uh, maybe the Stump Jumper, but I think the Stump Jumper actually came out after our our Sapphire slash Tetra. And that bike was was recently featured on the cover of uh, Road Bike Action. That's so, so cool. pretty stoked about that. Yeah. That's pretty cool. I can remember the first Lunas we got. I can remember the first Tetras. It's just unbelievable to me how pioneering the work you did was and is. Yeah, I uh, recognize carbon fiber as a material. So, you know, I, I figured it was job security to jump in with both feet. So, yeah, it was it was fun, you know, and it seems like we're a perpetual startup because we're constantly needing to innovate and come up with new new ideas, new ways to expand. And uh, so we've been doing a lot of that uh, over the years. But yeah, it all started with recognizing that carbon fiber was, was going to be the material of choice for high-performance bicycles. What do you see when you look at the current production carbon fiber bikes that are out there from everybody, pretty much everybody? Yeah, I've, we've seen uh, quality control has gone up in probably the last five years, maybe a little longer now. Uh, we're seeing a lot fewer repairs that should have been covered under warranty. And now it's just the usual minor impacts causing a need for repair. And I used to see their fragility causing a, a misplaced blaming of the material as not appropriate for bikes. But now I see dollar signs for our repair business. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> and you are one of the preeminent repair facilities for carbon. You can't repair every carbon bike, though, can you? I mean, I've seen you put some really amazing things back together. Yeah, it's we can repair pretty much anything. It's it's just a matter of time and effort and whether it's worth doing. Uh, usually when a, a frame is that far gone, there there's often a crash replacement deal to be had um, or it's just too expensive and they just buy a new one. But uh, yeah, we've we've repaired some pretty amazing bikes that were had high emotional value to the to their owners. So they really wanted to get back on that same bike. We're not available anymore. And they tried the new one and they didn't like it. So please repair the old one. So we've seen seen that occasionally. But yeah, we can pretty much do, do anything uh, repair-wise. So I want to talk about some of the new things that are happening. Has has the e-bike business come to Calfee Design? Yeah, we've been doing a um, retrofit service. It's basically a kit that we source through uh, ebikes.ca, uh, Grin Technologies. It's a hub motor-based system for mostly road bikes and tandems. And that's been really fun because people have a lot of really nice older road bikes or tandems that they're not riding right now. And they want to get back on it but turn it into an e-bike. So that's been a service we've been offering where we run wires internally and we use their LIGO battery pack, which is the only one I know of that you can you can add to it. It's 100 watt hours of power, and that's the limit for carrying on an airplane. So this is a, an e-bike retrofit that you can travel with as well. 
any other cool thing is you don't need to buy a, a, a one-size-fits-all battery pack. You can get, get just two battery uh, bricks if you want, and, if, and you don't really need it that much, then you just get two of them. And if you want more, uh, you can get four, five, six, or eight. We even brought ten of them along in our tour in Europe on our tandem because we were in Austria where it was really hilly. So we needed a lot of help. Are, are they heavy? Uh, no, they're, I mean, that's the point is they, they're as heavy as you care to carry, you know. So if you don't need as much, you don't have to make it so heavy. Hmm. It's really convenient. And they're really nicely made. They're made in Canada. And the motors are designed in Canada by these experts. And then they, they do have some of those made in China, but they're under strict quality control. So it's way better than, than a lot of the, the really low-cost e-bike kits that you can find online. And we install it and run the wires and make sure all the connections are good. And that's been a, a pretty busy part of our business now. Interesting. I'm going to have to talk with Brian about that. He says, hi, Hut, by the way. Oh, yeah. Hey, Brian. I also want to talk about this mini bike boom that's going on. I don't know what you're seeing, uh, but a lot of dealers are complaining they don't have inventory and, and uh, you know, they're backed up. What do you think about what's going on and how has COVID affected your business if it has? Well, it, it slowed us down a bit and it's forced us to do things differently, but that's created some new efficiencies. So, you know, for us, it's about, you know, management and working from home and having flexible schedules for people who want to come in when there's not as many people in the shop. Some guys have decided to not come in at all. They basically don't want to, you know, get outside of the uh, quarantine or their parents don't want to let them because they live at home with, with high-risk parents. There's that. Um, as far as the bike boom and lack of supply, I think we're seeing a bit of a bump because we make our frames here. We got most of our parts in stock or sourced pretty quickly. We haven't suffered too much of a shortage So on, on the high-end stuff generally. For the, the less expensive stuff, I do notice uh, we can't get a lot of things. So, yeah, it's a, it's a problem, and I hope uh, the manufacturers step it up and, and address it. But we, we think that you know having a made-in-USA product obviously is, is great because we, we're not dependent on a container load of bikes to arrive sometime in the distant future where we can react to demand more quickly. And, of course, there's the customization aspect. So I'm hoping that this will give some people the, the courage to go ahead and order up a, a more expensive bike that's made here that's more custom-made and uh, stimulate that side of things. Um, the other okay. side... I'm sorry. Go ahead, Craig. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to remind our listeners we're speaking with Craig Calfee, who is, to me, the pioneer of carbon fiber bicycles. He and I have been friends a long time, and it's always interesting to hear your perspective on everything. So continue. I didn't mean to interrupt. Oh, no worries. But as far as the bike boom goes, I'm really hoping that people rediscover bicycling by resurrecting that old bike found in the back of their garages, which is causing so much delay with bike shops. And and I hope they, you know, ride that bike a little bit and then realize that a better quality bike is really going to enhance their experience. So hopefully that'll happen and, uh, you know, we'll see a, a, a greater, uh, you know, uptick in bicycling in general. I, I hope so. <laughs> it's great. You know, let's let's keep people satisfied with their bikes. And when it really is time to get a new bike, then let's encourage shopping for quality, not just the cheapest bike they can get. True. Well, it occurs to me that oftentimes I'm not able to talk to you because you're out of the country, and that clearly is not the case right now. So tell me a little bit about some of the projects that you had already put into place in Africa and around the world. Uh, when, the last time I talked to you, I think you were heading for Cuba. Uh, what's going on with some of your bamboo work? Yeah, um, well, they're struggling. Uh, they're used to. Uh, certainly, well, pretty much all the projects are in developing countries. So, you know, the COVID is just another challenge to overcome. And, you know, they're used to that. But, you know, Europe as a market is something that's been developing for our guys in Ghana and Uganda. 
and they are busy making bikes for the European market. I'm looking at a, another visit to Ghana to one of our oldest builders to uh, consider the idea of importing their bikes to the U.S. So that visit is postponed, obviously, but um, I probably will will tie that into a visit with Sierra Leone, which is a new project started by one of my former employees from way back in the day, a guy whose parents are from Sierra. Actually, he was born in Sierra Leone, and his parents want to retire and go back and live there and maybe manage a project that that they can start. So that's really cool because I've known these guys for a long time, and it would be so cool to, to have good management to start out with instead of hoping it appears later on. So all the par- parts are together except for the COVID thing. So yeah, we're there's a couple of things on deck, and uh, hope to jump back into it as soon as uh, probably as soon as a vaccine is found is probably the limitation. Probably for all of us. Yeah, and I'm concerned about um, the Americans needing to be quarantined more than other people. So it's it's going to be a problem with our our lack of uh, concern with trying to solve this problem. Yes, that does seem to be an issue. Yeah, I'm, I'm really kind of pissed about that because, you know, it affects my ability to travel around and do, do stuff. Right, right. So, you know. Hmm. So, yeah, it's, it's uh, moving along just more slowly than before. Mm-hmm. Well, you have a do-it-yourself bamboo project. Yeah, our DIY kit, we have the time now, so to speak, to, to uh, look at that and maybe do a, a design change. Um, we've wanted to kind of up the uh, quality level or the robustness of the tooling of our DIY kit because a lot of people are buying those kits and then they start building multiple bikes and they really love the the concept of building their own bikes but some people are actually starting micro businesses and selling them and so we thought let's let's do a higher quality kit one that's basically easier to use. The difference being is all the parts are going to be made of metal instead of PVC pipe, and the tooling will be a little bit more accurate, but not a lot. They're already quite accurate. So that's kind of a development that we haven't finished yet, but soon we'll be rolling out a new version of that, and it's going to be cool for the the more serious builders. That's moving along. Just uh, another generation of it is about to to happen. You always have some cool ideas on the back burner. So what haven't you shared with me that you're working on now? Uh, Right now, I guess we officially released it at the Envy Builders Roundup. They had a virtual event where they invited media folks to uh, see what what we were building using Envy tubing and, of course, their parts. And we showed our Cephal mountain bike there for the first time. And that's a uh, a mountain bike that we've been we've built a few of them just for employees here, but this one is sort of addressing the problem of all the different types of riding people do with their mountain bikes, and all the different categories and opinions about what geometry is good for all mountain versus trail versus downhill, whatever. There's so many like slicing of the category of mountain biking that it was frustrating to figure out well what should we build. So we built a bike using uh, flip plates that allow you to change your head tube angle and an eccentric bottom bracket that allows you to adjust your bottom bracket height vertically and or effective seat tube angle by moving the eccentric forward or back. And this isn't necessarily to to run a belt or a single speed. It's for geared bikes as well. Mostly one bys, of course, because we're now separating this the alignment of the seat tube from the bottom bracket shell. You can run a two-by if you want by just fixing the bottom bracket shell in line with the, with the seat tube. But the main purpose is to allow different geometries. And as we started developing this, we made some charts uh, for what would be considered ideal hardtail with 140 travel fork, you know, or hardtail with 100 millimeter travel fork. What kind of geometry would people want in a bike of that configuration? And when you put different uh, axle-to-crown length forks on, your head tube angle is going to change. So, you know, being able to adjust your head tube angle to match the axle-to-crown and the fork rake 
is really helpful. So that's our newest thing, and we're pretty stoked about it because we've had it in different configurations, and it seems to perform really well uh, no matter no matter what size fork you put on it. What's the name of the What's the name of the model again? The Cephal, C E P H A L. But it's not on your website, is it? No, it's kind of new, so we haven't quite released it yet. <laughs> well, that's what you asked me about, right? That's correct. That is correct. Well, when will it be available uh, to consumers? Well, I'm hoping we'll finish up our web page about it um, in the next month. So we have to get you know a few more miles on the on the prototypes to firm up the split plate material choice that we were using, and so it's really a long term testing is, is where we're at now with it, but we're. So far, it's been great, and we're really excited about it. Well, it sounds like a really, really cool idea. As usual, you do all these kinds of cool ideas. Let me remind our listeners again, we're speaking with Craig Calfee. He is the carbon fiber guru, bamboo guru, too. But I want to ask you also about, you have a section on your website called Special Projects. And I know you've done some special things for different people, what kind of prototyping are you able to do for people, and is it always bicycle-related? We're very good at prototyping, uh, especially for a good price. That's probably my core strength, personally, is able to make stuff quickly and efficiently uh, with carbon fiber uh, in particular. And so, yes, we've done a lot of really cool bike projects. Um, one of the most recent ones is the carbon fiber viewpoint style tandem that's where the person in front is is uh recumbent riding and the the captain in the back is is a traditional bike setup steve belenke makes one as well as uh, rodriguez so we've done a couple of those recently including an electric one. Oh, cool yeah yeah and the um motorcycles are thing is is what we're getting into recently i've got a project basically addressing the zero motorcycles aftermarket. That's uh, the premier uh, electric motorcycle brand that's produced by far the most electric motorcycles on the road today. I've got uh, three of them, <laughs> one of each type, so for fitment purposes for uh, luggage cases and body work. So we're, we're focusing on aerodynamics of the motorcycle and trying to make the range of electric motorcycles be uh, improved. Ironically, you know, our bicycles are not known for their aerodynamics. You know, we don't make an aero road bike. Right. But we realize that the higher speeds, you know, 70 miles an hour on the on the freeway, that's where aerodynamics plays a huge role. And so, again, back to the form follows function aesthetic that I always tend to, to follow, I never really felt that the functionality of an aero down tube behind the turbulent air of a front wheel was really that important. It was. It seemed to be more about fashion. Unless you're at the highest levels of the sport and doing time trials, okay, that does matter. But for the rest of us, it, it's really not that big a deal. Electric motorcycles, however, you can literally double the range of your motorcycle if you set it up with aerodynamic features. And that's an opportunity that we've recognized, similar to recognizing carbon fiber as the material of choice for bicycles back in 1987, I'm recognizing that aerodynamics are going to play a huge role in electric motorcycle adoption uh, going forward. Right now, it's all about fashion and style, but when you realize that you can literally double the range of your bike, which is an issue with electric motorcycles, that you don't go as far on a tank of gas so to speak, you know, one charging fill up overnight or at a charge station will only get you about 100 miles normally. And if you're really careful, you can go maybe 120. But we think 200 miles is possible with with a couple of tricks up our sleeve. Wow. So that's that's something we're doing that's a, a R&D budget for, for that. Yeah, so it's a way to expand our offering to an area that I'm personally interested in. So that's a special project. Another project that's kind of related to the whole COVID thing and ties in the motorcycles and the bicycles together is I'm also working on an RV, a uh, GMC motorhome from the 70s. I want one. 
Yeah, the, this is a, a roadshow RV that I've been modifying and working on. It's got a ramp on the back so we can roll a motorcycle on it and bicycle pack it full of bikes. So we want to do uh, a roadshow. You know, if we're not going to have NABS this year and Interbike is finished, I mean, all the how do you connect to people? So we think a roadshow is going to be something that people want to do. And who knows when we're going to get to fly in an airplane again safely. So we might as well modify this motorhome and make it suitable for, for taking demo bikes around. And uh, maybe we'll have to come out and see you, and, and uh, you can do a live a live uh, Outspoken Cyclist interview. Well, and I will put in a plug for the <laughs> nicest tandem, the most fun tandem, the lightest tandem we ever rode in. Everybody knows that we're tandem riders, was our Calfi tandem. It was, without a doubt, the most enjoyable ride I can remember uh, for a high-performance, lightweight, fun tandem. Just beautiful. Yeah, I would love for you to come out with a demo. People listen to the show. They come from all around to see Craig Calfi in his RV. Yeah, it'll be fun. I think that's a good idea, Craig. When do you think you might actually do something like that? Are you looking at doing something like that sooner rather than later? Well, I've kind of given myself a deadline of of being able to take it uh, down south when it starts getting cold. (laughs) So um, I'm hoping. So you're going to have to wait till the spring. Oh, okay. (laughs) I guess that's okay. Yeah. Well, so I'd like you to let our listeners know how they can find out more about what you're doing, uh, when you might put up that information about your new bike, and how they can contact you. Yeah. Um, well, our website, of course, calfidesign.com, is the source for all that information. And also, uh, there's quite an interview in the uh, recent issue of Road Bike Action, and you'll see our Tetra on the cover. I'm excited to see I haven't seen it yet. I've only seen it as a picture of the cover, and I'm, I'm pretty stoked to see that. But I remember the interview with Zap, and it was it was I felt like I was on my on point with that one. So, well, I really appreciate you taking time out of your crazy busy schedule. You're doing all this cool stuff to talk with me. It's always good to hear what you're doing. Yeah, always a pleasure. It's inspiring. Yeah, and, Thanks, Craig. Have a great weekend, thanks. and we'll talk again. And I want to see that RV eventually with those bikes in it. You got it. All right. Um, you're on. You're on our list. Okay. We're going to be stopping. <laughs> Thanks. Take care. All right. All right. Bye. See you later. Bye. Craig Calfi is always one of my favorite guests. I love the way he thinks, and I always learn something from him. If you are interested in learning something about his work, log on to calfidesign.com. It's all out there, or soon will be. So that's our show for this week. One added note that was brought to my attention just as I was getting the show ready for you this week. T.J. Van Garderen has donated one of his team bikes to the efforts of our friend Doc Wilson from Peace Peloton to raise funds and awareness for black empowerment. The Peace Peloton will give away Van Garderen's team-issued Cannondale Super 6 Evo race bike to one lucky donor. The goal is to raise $25,000 to support the Peace Peloton's community rides and programming. For more information, to take a peek at the bike and to make your donation, you can go to peacepeloton.com forward slash TJ dash bike dash benefit. You can make your donations through September 20th and the bike will be given away during the final stage of the Tour de France. So that's our show for this week. I hope you enjoyed it. Please remember that you can always join the conversation on our Facebook page. You can send us a tweet at Outspoken Cyclist without the E or leave a comment on our blog, OutspokenCyclist.com. Next week, we'll hear from Andrew Bernie Bernstein. He was hit by a van, left for dead, and now, more than a year later, is asking us all to be evangelists for safer driving. We'll also be checking in with Dan Rice from the Ohio Erie Canalway, and a lot more. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you have a great week. Stay safe. Stay well. And if you have a chance, remember, go for a ride. Bye-bye.
for joining us today on The Outspoken Cyclist with Diane Jenks. We hope you enjoyed this week's show and welcome your comments and thoughts on Twitter and Facebook. Visit OutspokenCyclist.com to hear this and all past shows. We'll be back next week with more great conversation and news from the world of cycling. Remember, you can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or Stitcher and never miss an episode. The Outspoken Cyclist is a copyrighted production of DBL Promotions with the assistance of WJCU-FM Cleveland, a service of John Carroll University. Thanks again for listening, ride safely, and we'll see you next week.